Welcome to Daleks Aren't Robots. I am now 99% not plastic Josh, and I'm here with my friends. We have Kari. Hello. We have Zach. Hello. And of course, we have Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Well put. Well put. As always, Zach and I are Whovians, Kari and Justin are not Whovians, and we're taking a look at Doctor Who, and today we have jumped all the way back to the 1970s. We're now in color, we're now groovier, and we're now dealing with the third Doctor in Spearhead from Space! Uh, so, Justin, you uh, okay to do the synopsis? So the Doctor kind of ends up on Earth. Like, he just regenerated, so he's all loopy. We meet the Brigadier guy. Yep. Who, basically, he knows the Doctor from, a, you said, a previous episode? Yes. I assume it's the second Doctor that he knows. Yeah. Yes. But basically, they come to him and they say, hey, we found this phone box. And he's like, oh, I know that guy. That's the Doctor. And then when they take him to the hospital where the Doctor is, they're like, oh, I don't know that guy. Because he's got a new face. Because he doesn't know about regeneration. New body, who dis? Because he's, fa- he's a fake fan. Meanwhile, meteors are falling from space, but they're plastic meteors. Yes. And the meteors then take over a local plastic factory. That they do. And a creepy mannequin doll factory. Is there any other kind of plastic factory? That's true. You have a point. Anyway, there's a plot, you know, to take over the world. It's the same robot plastic guys as the ninth Doctor episode we watched. Yes. Autons. And I guess this is where they get their name because it was like the auto plastic factory or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, I think that's about right. So that might be the where autons. they... Yeah, that might be where they got their name, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this was where they got everything. Yeah. Basically, each of the meteors is like part of the nesting consciousness. Yeah. And they're trying to So grow. they need all of them. They're trying to grow like a perfect body for it, which we don't really see, but it has tentacles and an eyeball that kind of looks like a sphincter. <laughs> and it's- Yes. Yeah. What is with the pulsating butthole eyeball? I didn't like that. What good is a perfect body if it can't poop? The tentacles were really cute, though. They already look felted. I don't understand why there aren't plushies of the tentacle thing. Like, that was adorable. But the doctor who apparently his TARDIS is now broken, like for real broken. Yes. Not, yeah. not the normal, oh, well, it's stuck in police box form broken. Uh, yeah. Yep. He's stuck in the 1970s. Yeah, he was banished in yeah. the 1970s, I guess. Yeah, he got his mind wiped of how to fix it. Mm-hmm. So he teams up with the Brigadier and his organization, Unit, was it? Yeah, yep. Unit. Unit. The United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Also, I think is, also uh, a euphemism for someone's junk. Yes. Yeah. Did they not yeah. know that? Like, or was that before that was a euphemism? I don't know. It might be before that was slang. I'm not sure if that slang was popular in 1970s England. Maybe it was uh, uh, just a American thing. But the doctor kind of helps the unit, or basically, unit helps the doctor. Yes. Take down the nesting. Yep. And then that ends with an intriguing new premise for the season. Yeah, basically the new way going forward for this era is um, Earthbound Stories. The Doctor's teaming up with Unit to take out monsters on Earth, Um, and he's got a new scientist companion who helps him out, Liz Shaw. Yeah, she was cool. No, And I like the new Doctor. Yeah, I do too. So this is now your fifth Doctor that you've met? Depending Uh, on how we count seven, possibly six if we count Cushing. We have to count Cushing. Yeah. Yeah, we don't necessarily have to count seven yet. So what are your initial reactions to uh, Pertwee? I like this doctor a lot. 
he seems super debonair and kind of charismatic yeah. um, and a lot more charming, yes. I think, than any of the previous ones that we've gotten. Yeah, definitely. He's a lot more socially adept, he seems like, and he takes the trouble to be. He's kind of good looking for a guy that's 51. He wears this fancy Edwardian era opera cape and a cool hat, which he totally stole from some guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes, he did. Although, like, the hat does not have enough feathers in it. No. Let, let it be known. For you women out there, there is another topless doctor shot in this one. This is not just topless. <laughs> yeah, he is totally nude, although we don't see anything. We see the like the top of his very white butt. Very white. Very white. Very white. Very white. <laughs> there is a tan line there. <laughs> if you are fans of pale ass Brit butt, then uh, yep. congratulations, we found the cereal for you. There's somebody. He has a tattoo, which I yes, thought was really interesting. So you have to tell me what is the tattoo? Like, is is it the doctor's tattoo or did Pertwee have a tattoo? Uh, Pertwee had a tattoo. He got it one night while um, blacked out drunk while he was in the Navy and oh, woke no. up with a tattoo. Nice, nice. But that was a myth. I didn't think that actually happened to people. What's next? Is he going to wake up in a bathtub missing a kidney? <laughs> it's a cobra in the shape of a question mark. What? That's actually a, pretty what cool. A cobra. It is a green and scarlet cobra. Weirdly suits the doctor, too. And didn't he get another tattoo on his other arm with a woman's name on it? <laughs> uh, no, no. There's a C in the middle of the cobra. But the... Oh, there's a C in the middle of the cobra. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is super interesting. That's my question. When you do a new regeneration, do they come with tattoos? No. Because apparently they do. Well, whether or not this is him newly regenerated is kind of a question. Oh, okay. But in canon, the way that they've covered for the tattoo is that is a uh, convict mark. Oh. But they're by the Time Lords. Oh, wow. Oh, what did he do? Did they finally catch him for his hugely long list oh. of murders? That's why he's stuck on Earth now and the TARDIS doesn't work. Oh, my God. The Time Lords stuck him here as, like, imprisoned in exile. Yeah, this is basically the Time Lord equivalent of sending prisoners off to Australia. Earth is basically space Australia. You have to admit, the 70s yeah. is pretty... That's mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, mm. Of all the decades. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> I also noticed, though, he's wearing a gold bracelet. Is that a doctor thing, or is that just Pertwee's bracelet that he wore that uh, day? I don't know anything about the bracelet. I just, I noticed it because of course, at one point it's the only thing that he's wearing. Hey, hey, hey. He's also wearing a shower cap. Yes, that's true. He does wear a shower cap during that scene, that which makes sense because his hair is dry later on. So yeah. gotta keep that perm safe. Yeah, that perm is beautiful. It's a uh, kind of Pertwee's fault that there was a shower scene in this episode anyway. <laughs> it was in his contract. One nude shower scene per season. <laughs> yeah is that like a requirement of his and no brown m&ms right like the whole the whole crew had to be there to watch it's a power move. it's like how shatner had it in his contract while on star trek he had to get his shirt off at least once an episode oh god why he was wandering around the house that they were filming the hospital scene in and found this amazing shower he insisted <laughs> that they use it 
in the episode somehow, so... I mean, it does work, because you don't look too close at the guy that's taking a shower, right? Because that's awkward. You just, you know... Yeah, well, they had to change the business. Right, they changed the script to make it work. I don't know what it was before that. It fits neatly into what they had already. Yeah. And it's oddly appropriately Doctor E. Yeah, it definitely is. This doctor also steals a car. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he does a full Captain America and just steals a car. Yes, he does. He doesn't rip someone out of it, but... No, he doesn't have to. He's super tricksy, like First was. He tries to escape from Lethbridge Stewart. Like, he tries to steal his own TARDIS and, and leave. He hasn't tried to murder anybody who wasn't already hostile yet. That yet was very important. At one point, he, he runs away from the plastic guys in a wheelchair, which is hilarious. <laughs> but it's also super in character. Like, that was hysterical. Yeah, that, that wheelchair chase was, was a highlight. That was great. And then at one point, he bullshits his way back into Lethbridge Stewart. And he Karens his way into talking to him. <laughs> he just like, yeah. he's like, I'm here to talk to Lethbridge Stewart. No, I'm not going to give you my name. No, I'm not going to show you my idea. You're just going to show me to Lethbridge Stewart. And then the guy does it just out of pure, like, fear or whatever. And yeah. I also do like that the, the doctor and the brigadier are in a mildly antagonistic relationship. Like, they both realize they need the other one, but they don't really like each other. At least not yet. I don't know if they don't like each other. They definitely don't trust each other. Yeah. He cons Liz into stealing the TARDIS key from Lethbridge Stewart, which was hilarious. And at the end, the doctor extorts Lethbridge Stewart to get a lab, facilities to fix the TARDIS, to get a car like the one he stole. And he adds in Liz as terms of the the bargain Uh that they have. For someone who didn't want to get paid money, he wants a lot of material things. Yes, he does. want to get paid money. (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, that car is pretty rad. It is. Uh, no, I, I like him. I think he's great. I also do like Pertwee's sort of delivery of stuff. He's just so very upper class, I think is yeah. the only way I can really put it. There's there's just a certain degree of expecting people to do what he says. And darned if they don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is the power of the male Karen. Yeah, but of course, the Doctor is not our only new character. And since we've discussed him a little bit already, let's talk about, I think it's Brigadier uh, Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Did I get the whole name? Brigadier so Alistair names. Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Right. Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. He wasn't British enough. I just call him LBS because, like, screw that. Yeah. <laughs> he has the mustache of authority. He does. It is he an does. amazing mustache. So he's like the military guy in charge of unit, which what is unit? unit. I keep having in my notes, WTF is unit. So, okay. Unit is a wing of the UN and this is the British branch of it. And they deal with, you know, the UN has a British branch. I don't think that's how that works. Unit has a British branch. Oh, basically the idea is that this is sort of our men in black organization. This is the the group that knows about aliens and robots and stuff like that and is trying to put up some sort of defense against them. Yes, and in the new show, when they went to bring them back, the UN did complain and they had to change the name. Oh. The United Nations did not like being associated with a sci-fi show. (laughs) 
And they oh. say the United Nations is full of tight asses. Okay. I mean, LBS does not really have a character, at least not in this episode. He's just like the military guy in charge of units. He's kind of somewhat adversarial with Liz a little bit. But he also seems to I like think her she, more. he's more adversarial to her than he is to the doctor. Because they're both dudes or whatever. To his credit, though, he does point out when the general makes this sexist comment to Liz, like, he defends her and says that she's not just a pretty face. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not a dirtbag or anything. But I guess so he's not technically a companion, but he kind of is, like... Uh, This whole era is full of not really companions. I will say the brigadier is kind of the go-to companion not companion the only one other one i think who kind of sits at the edge of companionness is captain jack harkness who we'll meet much later the brigadier is probably the character who has met the most versions of the doctor in the show and he's he seems okay but there's nothing much to him at this point in this particular episode i kind of view him as like the sort of put upon administrator i get kind of the sense that unit is not the biggest priority and he's trying to, you know, sort of keep everything moving. That might be me uh, projecting. If they're, a, if they're a UN organization, what are their resources? Like, he seems to have a lot of military dudes at his disposal, but, like, who are they? Like, how many people do they have? Are there tanks? Can he just, like, order up a rocket launcher? Like, I want to know uh, what their capacity or capability for dealing with this stuff is. They're very military. <laughs> very military. They have a lot of... So are there nukes? Involved. Like, what are we... Like... I don't think they have nukes. No, the nukes would be above their... But they, they do have tanks. Yeah. And uh, okay. they do have bombs. They had a good supply of mooks. Yes, they did. And that's why I was wondering. I was like... How many of these dudes can you just, like, send? Let, let's say unit soldiers are kind of our red shirts. If you're a nameless unit soldier, then I'm terribly sorry. You're gonna have a bad day. And even if you're a named one, if you don't have that many scenes, you might still have a bad day. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about Liz very much yet. No, we should no. do that. Um, I like Liz. Uh, yeah, I do too. She's like Barbara, but... Like, she doesn't take any crap from anybody. No. Zach, the, the initial creators, the first two people who were set up to, to run this. Creators of what? Like, the initial uh, rebooters here. They, they, were, they came up with the idea of doing the entire era set on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Bryant and Derek Sherwin. Peter Bryant and Derek Sherwin. They were the ones who came up with uh, Liz. Doctor Who companions had gotten an, in my opinion, unearned but still fairly deep reputation of companions being what they called screamers. And they wanted a companion who was more able to uh, interact with uh, the Doctor on a scientific level. sort of a lab assistant she is good for that yeah apparently she's a researcher but she also has a medical degree i guess she's super smart uh she needles lethbridge stewart pretty often which i think is hilarious she's a skeptic but not to the extent of being an idiot because as soon as she sees all this crap she's like okay i guess it's real yeah yeah she's just enough of a skeptic that she'll be able to ask the right questions when things come up she's brave uh she's super creepy out by the mannequins but like who wouldn't be because mannequins are super creepy yeah he reacts way better than most of the other people in this story like that one guy's face is just hilarious ransom the inventor <laughs> uh, that was funny yeah 
he has a bit of a breakdown. Yeah. Um, uh, Liz Shaw, the brigadier, and the doctor, um, in my opinion, have a very nice sort of mistrustful relationship with each other because they all have very different goals. The brigadier wants to just repel the threats as much as possible. Liz Shaw is looking to learn stuff. And the doctor just wants to fuck off. <laughs> He's... He is here not by choice, and he's not happy. He seems to be hitting on her. Am I right? <laughs> like, I feel like he's definitely hitting on her. Definitely likes her. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely seems to respect her more than Lethbridge Stewart. Definitely. Yeah. I think he's also hitting on her. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, but also. Not in a creepy way. Could be the next Kameka. He's good looking for his age. Yeah. Try to think and he's of- only 50. He's not in his 70s, so, you know. No, and I... I don't know how old Carolyn John was when uh, she was Liz Shaw, but I think she was somewhere in her 30s. I like her a lot. She even has a great hair bun hairstyle, but that outfit that she wears, yikes. It's she, got, she got hit with the 70s stick really hard. <laughs> they do, starting I think in the next episode, give her better outfits. This was the first episode to be shot in color, and uh, they were trying to make it less um, outlandish than some of the outfits companions had worn up to that point. There's actually quite a few bits where, like, you can kind of tell that this is a production team that's not 100% used to filming in color. Yeah, that was not anything that looks good. Like, that would probably have looked okay in black and white, but it was really ugly in color. Yeah. Yeah. We have not seen the inside of this TARDIS yet. Apparently it's broken and yeah, it sounds yeah. really tired and And there's a reason we didn't see inside it, so yeah. And when was the last time it had a Gavroche? <laughs> the the Time Lords probably fed it a few Gavroches before sending I hope it back. So But it is not well. It has been no. sabotaged. It sounds the same, but it sounds very tired. It's also, I think this one's maybe a little bigger than Hartnell's TARDIS was. I'm not sure, though. It's hard to tell. Outside, I cannot tell. But yeah, sadly, the TARDIS isn't given a whole lot to do in this first season, as you can probably imagine. It got maybe its first free ride since Marco Polo, and this time in in an army truck, so you know. Yeah. Maybe it ate one of those guys. This! It has not yet eaten the master, of course, since we haven't met him. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to eat a snot snake. That's icky. You know, if the doctor's tattoo of a cobra with a C in it is meant to represent convict, maybe the master turning into a snot snake was a representation of like him as the ultimate Time Lord convict. Like it was uh, meant to be like his badass boast. That could be. I don't know if being a snot snake is a badass boast. <laughs> you may think you're cool, but I am a snake made of goo. <laughs> Okay, so we've talked to the Doctor, we've talked to the Companions, we've talked the TARDIS um, guest stars. There are a lot of them in this one. Yeah. Most of them aren't very important, though. Like, I just called Hibbert, like, the good factory guy. He's the person that runs the plastic doll factory, and he's being brainwashed into being an unwitting pawn of the Nestines by Channing, the evil factory guy. He was actually super creepy, though. He reminded me weird. He reminded me weirdly of Richard E. Grant. I can kind of see that. Also, funny you should mention that, but that's uh, yeah. Why we'll be meeting Richard E. Grant as oh, okay. another not real person um, oh. in the future. But no, that's who he reminded me. Of. 
he was pretty creepy and a lot of the time what i liked about him is that he played it in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect like a lot of the time he's very emotionless and his face is very stiff but he also gets super upset a couple of times yeah and seems really agitated and that's not necessarily what you what you would expect from someone playing that type of role. He's the most interesting of the Autons that we see. Well, I mean, most of the Autons are just, you know, mannequins. Yeah. Well, so is, is revealed, so is Channing. That is true. Um, I also like the makeup that they put on Channing. I think he's, they do a good job making his skin look not quite right. Yeah, but he's still less plasticky looking than the plastic model of the general. Yes. Which also looked very good in a plasticky way. He's also less plasticky looking than Mickey, like uh, 30 yeah. years later. Yeah. Weirdly, the Autons in this were, were better at disguising themselves as humans. Yeah. They were, and they were also creepier when they were in mannequin mm-hmm. form, mm. I felt like. Like, I felt like this was a better version of the Autons. Yeah. Yeah. Except when they ran. Yeah, by and large, I agree, but I do kind of... the There's something about the jerky movements that the Autons have in the... Mm. Uh, Eccleston story that I kind of missed a little bit. I I think they worked better here, especially when with the ones that had hair and stuff. Mm. Yeah. I think the main issue they had with this one is that they only had like four of the costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be a terrifying horde. Yeah. When so when they were at when they were a rampaging horde of four of them, we just had to take it on faith that there were more of them. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> The budget yeah. was very restrictive for this episode. Yeah. Rather famously, the scene where they break out of the shop windows to attack, they had to film it so that the breaking occurred off screen because they couldn't actually break the shop windows. They didn't have the prop glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It was actually complicated how they had to do it. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it was the same Well, building. and then we have, like, Ransom the inventor who looks absolutely terrified and, like, dribbles incoherently for a while and then gets vaporized yes but uh justin you are correct that is the same building that rose will work at uh 30 years in the future really i did not catch that it's the same building i still likes referencing all two well and it makes sense then that they would have autons in the basement yeah that explains why those guys were there which never did make sense to me before i would think the building would have a no mannequins policy the first time that happened (laughs) (laughs) how quickly we forget the evil mannequins are way creepier here i think also the guns are now lasers which i think makes them fit a little bit it works a little bit better and it's a less little less it works a lot better but hey i do have a question about that they have to hit them twice to disintegrate them but are the people dead after the first shot or just stunned? no they're dead they're dead they're dead that's just clean up the second yeah the disintegration is just to make sure that no one finds it um though actually um god we see a very high death toll in this one then the wife did survive mrs seeley did she get shot though or just like we we don't we don't know we don't hear the shooting sound effect we just find her on the ground in front of an auton i assumed she got hit because it was advancing on her it wouldn't advance on her if she if it was going to shoot her right like it would just shoot her possible just you know karate chop that's what i figured but speaking of the old lady there's sam the poacher and his wife meg the old lady she is badass yeah 
this terrifying, horrifying mannequin comes and starts rummaging through her house to find the plastic globe that her poacher husband hid in there. And she gets the shotgun, stands her ground. And fires like twice. Yeah, and hits him. I mean, okay. And only then does she freak out after it survives two shotgun blasts. Which, you know, is natural. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, this lady is cool. I want I want a show with Meg in it. This. Um, so one other thing we I want to talk about, and I guess guest stars is the best place to talk about it. Shall we talk about just how gun crazy the unit soldiers are? What is with that? (laughs) They literally shot the doctor. Yep. And he grazed him. But like they shoot at everything. <laughs> they grazed his head. They shot him. What? Yeah, they went they for a headshot. I'm an American, <laughs> and I don't think you can shoot people all the time. What are you people doing? Yeah, that's that's basically the standard that the unit soldiers stay at for most of this era. Just like oh my God. shoot anything. <laughs> Yeah, what was with that? See, okay, so we got into huge trouble in season one because some parents were mad that Susan wasn't using proper scissors safety. Now everybody's getting shot. Well, like, did they not get any complaints about the... Not yet. They did get complaints in this era, though. Yeah, they're coming, but not well, yet. And it's not just the guns, either. The um, One of the army guys who's driving a Jeep with one of the creepy plastic globe things on it gets into a car accident. And, like, the implication is that he smashes his face on the windshield. And, like, there's blood. Which is covered yeah. in blood. Yeah. yeah, it's covered in blood. Like, is this the first time we've seen blood in a Doctor Who? I think it might uh, be. It's the most obvious, especially since we now have color. Yeah, that's true. But the guns were really... Like, some guy comes out of the bushes and you just shoot him? Like, you're in the English countryside, my brother. Not a war zone. I can't help it. What are you doing? This is probably just some guy looking for blueberries or something. (laughs) I can't help but think of the mercs from Predator. Just, like, any snap of a tree branch and they just fire into the jungle. But in Predator, they were escaping a war zone. (laughs) At least that made sense. Sam Seely is lucky that he didn't get shot when he approached them. Yeah, no kidding. Good lord. I do want to mention, while we're just mentioning, the abduction and then escape and chasing with the doctor in a wheelchair is always great fun to watch. Yeah. That was wonderful. It was hilarious, but actually kind of suspenseful at the same time. Yeah, because he's got his mouth covered. He can't talk. Right. He was gagged when he got shot by unit. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just shoot people when they come running out of the bushes. <laughs> this was... isn't Normandy. I thought he was a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Too pale, though. Maybe he's a polar bear. Uh, only in the bottom half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No. Yeah, I I was very surprised with the shooting and everything. It was definitely a shock after the not shooting we've mostly seen. Except, of course, when Americans took over for the TV movie. (laughs) Yeah, but then we didn't, like, that was gang violence, not a military soldier at home. Yeah. And it was kind of uh, the Brigadier's fault because he did authorize live ammunition. I don't even have a problem with that, but, like, you might want to warn people you're going to shoot before you just haul off and shoot them all. Shoot him. We'll check the bodies yeah, later. Yeah, even the gangsters in American who were like, oh, 
this is the guy that we've been waiting for. Better shoot him. They didn't just shoot random people. No. Well, not that we saw. The gangsters kind of disappear after that scene. So. Yes, they do. Well, they did shoot the doctor Yeah, randomly. but he showed up, like, magically. I could see... Plus, he was a witness, probably. I don't know. I, I can understand that, at least. Plus, they're gangsters. They're not trained to not shoot people. You would yeah. hope a military well, We don't know what unit be. training is. Apparently. Unit training is see movement shoot. Yeah, apparently, apparently it's shoot first, ask questions, never. The only other thing to really talk about is the Nestine consciousness itself, which we kind of covered. I can see why it's afraid yeah. of the doctor later. Yeah. Doctor, like, straight up yeah. blew it up. Yes. And uh, Perry's expression when he was trying to sell being in terror of the tentacles. Yes, he's trying to get the tentacles to stay on him while looking like he's trying yeah. to get them off of him. Yeah. He did pretty well, though. I mean... It's uh, it's very much like the octopus in um, Bride of the Atom. Yeah. They're doing their best. It's fine. Oh, wait, guys. We forgot the best character of them all. The shifty vacuumer. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> oh, yeah. Is he going to show up again? <gasps> Not as far as I know. Does Unit stay in this no. hospital? No. We do shoot in that location again, but I think it's a different spot. So, yeah, no, this vacuumer never shows up again. Uh, you just knew he was shifty. They put way too much focus on him, and then he turned out to be like... He just called the press. Yeah, he yeah. just called the press. I was like, I thought for sure he was going to be a big bad, but he wasn't. So let's talk 1970s. What is this, more northern England? Or do you know where this is filmed, Zach? Oh, where on location, filmed? apparently. Yes, it's our, I yeah. think, our first. Um, it's pretty much all on location except for like one or two shots. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But now everyone sounds like they're in a cave. That's just for this episode. They sound like they're in a cave. Yes. The offices, like, did they have anyone to do set dressing? I noticed in the hospital that the offices are all really impersonal. Like, there's no posters. There's no pictures. Mm. You could have at least put a picture of a hang-in-there cat or something. I don't know if they had the hang-in-there cat. No, yet. they probably didn't. I think that was later. But, like, you had things up on the walls in the 70s it wasn't like white wall everywhere i'm pretty sure also this is the 70s when you see glowing stuff that came from space why aren't they assuming it's radioactive because he's a dumb poacher he doesn't know no well shit. the soldiers anybody yeah anybody we all knew about hiroshima I mean, we lucked out. It wasn't radioactive. Yeah, they that, did. But, like, wouldn't that be the first thing you would assume? Yes. I'd be like, well, great. I guess I didn't want to have kids anyway. Especially, but... he picks it up and it's ringing. Yeah, like, it's got it a, cell like a cell phone, phone. ring. Like, and they didn't answer the phone. Dude. Well, they didn't have cell phones yet. They didn't know what no. those ringtones sounded like. I suppose that's true. I don't know. It just weirds me out that nobody even mentioned the possibility that it was radioactive or anything. Yeah, and like, he just okay. picked it up and bagged it. And the factory was terrifying, too. Like, there were no yeah. safety shields on any of that equipment. There were like, some, yeah. like... Their hands were like an inch from murder things in there. The thing is, I'm pretty sure that's a real factory. Yeah. It probably is, but like factories did have safety gear at that point. I've used equipment from that era that had safety. Like you had to turn it off to remove the safety on some of that. Not that we did because we were careful, but like things did come with safety in that era. In America, maybe. 
yeah, I guess British people are just like, well, screw you if you die. Good luck with that power takeoff, friends. Keep calm and carry on. I'm sorry. Yeah, you don't need that arm. You have another one. We must suffer for our British dolls. I guess. And I was so disappointed. We were all super disappointed. They showed a wax Gandhi and a wax Nixon, and at no point do they fight. Those were actual wax models. Yeah. One out of no zero zero out of five stars do not recommend <laughs> worst uh, doctor whoever not yeah, even that was, having gandhi fighting i mean on the one hand yay it's cool that we're shooting in the actual madame tussauds but at the same time like you can't tease us like that cereal i want to see nixon at least do a body slam come on yeah i want to see the doctor karate chop gandhi in the face <laughs> that'd be awesome people would have gone insane i remember were you guys around for the clone high thing uh, yeah. no i'm no. uh yeah mtv put out the show clone high they had a clone of gandhi who was like a party animal a uh, teenager type and people in india lost their shit they like they apparently people in the indian offices of mtv got like uh chased by a mob into but the that offices was a clone like this would have been a plastic replica of gandhi not anything like has I'm... nothing to do with real gandhi obviously these guys want to take over the world but like he didn't body slam anybody in this and it was take that gandhi yeah I'm just saying that you, it was disappointing. Yeah. I don't know how much 1970s Britain would want to do something with Gandhi. They're still probably sore of the whole losing India thing. No, that's all I had for setting. I'm just like, it sure is the 70s. Everything is ugly. Okay. <laughs> all right. I do like the creepy factory. It was a nice place for a chase scene. That's basically all I've got. I will note that was around the creepy factory. That was actually um, the real security fence and real barbed wire. And the actor playing uh, Ransom Ransom. did slice open his finger when he was climbing the fence. A, what the fuck? And B, congratulations. You have now shown a bunch of kids how to break into that building. Nice work. Mission accomplished. Good they work, man. They probably worked that one out a long time ago, though, if they really wanted to. I, well, I hope he was okay. Yeah, he continued shooting. They put a flesh-colored bandage on and finished <laughs> his days with shooting. Stiff up a lip. I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you just slice your finger down like a knife to a hot dog? Put a Band-Aid on it and get back to work, wussy. God. Now pretend to get vaporized. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. On to production. Ooh, color. But it's the 70s, so everything is brown. The co- the color is brown. <laughs> yeah. Just like, but, oh, this is the brownest decade. I, I guess we've got a, a compare and contrast here. Bright Disney Channel colors of the Eccleston sh- episode or dull brown colors of this one? Eccleston. Oh, or the... Uh, cotton candy colors of um cotton candy every time of uh of um, the cushing movie yeah yeah i wasn't even beautiful i mean that's not fair the cushing movie no had like an actual budget and movie stuff to work with a color palette yeah yeah but the the eccleston stuff it wasn't that colorful either though it was that it was that early 2000s washed out lots of beige except the pink there was a lot of pink. Beige and pink, basically. Beige and pink. That's about right. TV, the TV movie was, was pretty good. Yeah. The TV movie, yeah. 
it's an unfortunate decade to choose to have color in. That's yeah. all. So, Just um, like, oh. Zach, since we're talking about color anyway, do you want to talk about the uh, issues that the color brought up behind the scenes? Yeah. So um, you guys wanted to know why everything was shot on location. When they start to fill the studio technicians, all the camera operators went on strike because having to operate the new fancier color cameras and none of the studios were working for that. Potentially, this would have stopped filming in its tracks, but Sherwin went to the BBC and proposed a radical idea, which took a good portion of their limited budget. They got locations and shot it all on film because the film cameraman did not go on strike. This is our only episode completely shot on film, except for the TV movie. And it still looks like that. That's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you can, I mean, it's the 70s. There's not much you can do yeah. Yeah. unless you build your own sets. Like, I don't... Also, something to... It's an ugly decade. Knowing what the BBC filing system was, I have to assume, instead of putting it in a nice freezer for preservation, someone just tucked the film reel behind like their desk or something and left it there for three And it's years. a lucky thing they did that instead of putting it in the fire. That one may have actually ended up in the fire, but we usually got a lot of episodes back because they were broadcast elsewhere. And those broadcasts were preserved because surprisingly, other countries apparently did not take the same mercenary perspective to preservation that the BBC did. Also, you want to know why it sounded... So terrible, especially in like uh, the lab and unit. Those were shot in a top secret emergency bunker under the, um, what was used as the hospital. Woodnorn was a BBC technician school and underneath they had a BBC emergency bunker, which is where they shot that stuff because they didn't have the set they had built for uh, the unit because they weren't filming in the studio. So it's shot in a cave because it's a cave. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, the good news was if uh, World War III had happened while filming, they would have all been fine. And and they still would have completed their project. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So they kind of did a reset. Like, why did they choose Pertwee? Why did they choose, you know, the actress that that's, plays Liz? Like, what was the um, thought there? So... Like, I'm sure they had a bunch of guys waiting. Why Pertwee? I will just say yeah. they may not have actually had that many guys waiting. So you know how the BBC has a forever war against this show? Oh my God, now what? During the, the Troughton years, yeah. the show's ratings were beginning to fall and the BBC was apparently looking to make some severe cuts. So this was like a last ditch effort to keep the show on the air. It was using a less substantial budget than it had before <laughs> and you know how amazing that was before so wasn't it so they took away one of their lint balls <laughs> that seems really unfair so basically whoever became the third doctor was looking to get into a pretty thankless job at that time oh my god i'm you know if you told if you guys told me that the bbc hired a 12 year old to follow like the producers of doctor who around and throw rocks at them, I wouldn't not believe you. <laughs> I would believe you. <laughs> yeah, so... Like, if they the secretly went by and keyed the main character's 
car, I would believe you if you told me that. Probably was the third person approached. The uh, first two people that they wanted, one was, I don't know if you'll know, Ron Moody was the first. Oh, I know who he is. And Stratford Johns was the second. Don't know him. So they were just desperate and that's why they picked Pertwee? Initially, they picked Pertwee because they wanted the Doctor to be more comedic. But as they were developing the character, they decided to have Pertwee play it more straight, kind of more like himself. Was Pertwee known as more of a comedic actor at this time? Uh, He wasn't really known much as an actor. He had done more, uh, he had done a lot of carry-on and comedy before now. Yeah. Carry On, I know, is a big uh, comedy series in um, England, like a film series. Yeah, I've heard of yeah. it. Um, so that's what they were looking for, I guess. And instead, we get a, sort of a more serious, refined doctor. Debonair doctor. He was on the short list, but he also had his agent ask to be on it. Well, he's good. I like him. I'm glad he did. Yeah. I didn't see anyone else considered for the role of uh, Liz Shaw. Something I should uh, probably mention while we're talking about Carolyn John, though. Um, the third Doctor era is considered um, sort of a landmark era and beloved by a lot of people. One of the people who is not super crazy about it is Carolyn John. From what I've read, John did a lot of scientific research when she found out she was playing a scientist, hoping to get the terminology right and the actions right, and then shows up and found out that Doctor Who had a shall we say, loose interpretation of science? It's very science fantasy. It's it's technobabble. Yeah, Um, and God knows John Pertwee wasn't going to be memorizing a bunch of actual scientific terms, so she felt like um, the character wasn't taken seriously and her attempts to bring stuff to it were uh, largely thrown out the window. Oh, that's too bad. Something that uh, is maybe exacerbated by... Another figure that I Behind the I scenes. really want to talk about. We mentioned the people who created this show and, um, well, not created the show, but created this era. The people who were looking to reboot uh, Doctor Who. Um, yeah. They left halfway through this serial, like while it was oh. in production. To save another show. Well, tried to save another yeah. show. Yeah, uh, some detective thing. We couldn't find much on it. But um, they brought in to replace them Barry Letts. My interpretation of Barry Letts is if Verity Lambert is the Gene Roddenberry of the show, Barry Letts is the Rick Berman of the show. Oh, no. And he's here for the whole Pertwee era. Things go downhill from here. um, His job on the show wasn't to preserve the vision of the two original producers or bring his own or protect the writers or crew. His job was to make the show profitable. He was there to make BBC happy. And as we have learned, BBC was generally not happy with Doctor Who. I don't know what that would even look like. Well... I don't think they knew what that would look like either. One of the things I can tell you Barry Letts definitely didn't think it would look like was a strong female, a smart female companion who was equal to the doctor. Yeah, Barry Letts hated Liz Shaw. Hated her dad. Yeah, of course she did. Oh my God, she's the best thing on the show right now. (laughs) Yeah, she's really good. Yeah, she got screwed over. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. 
Now yeah. I'm sad. Carol and John and the writers do write by Liz Shaw, but Barry Letts definitely had a, was taken aim at the character had, from day one. Yeah. Pertwee didn't much like the character either. Yeah. Pertwee. Pertwee was wrong. From, <laughs> yeah. from everything I Sorry. have heard, Pertwee kind of had a bit of an ego and didn't like this character on his level. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, that's kind of how he's playing the doctor too. So, I mean, that's a good, that's a good energy to bring to the part, but like you can't let him actually do that in real life. You want to know why uh, we were going earthbound and all that. One was budgetary reasons. And two, the producers wanted to, they wanted to get away from the side fantasy and traveling around. To other, they wanted to be more grounded and more like a popular British show from the 50s. Yeah, I didn't know about this. You were, you were telling me about this British show called Quartermass I'd never heard of. Yeah. Any old British people listening to this podcast just lost their minds. He doesn't know about Quartermass. Okay, so what is it? Basically, it's from the 50s. It's by Nigel Neal. It's basically a show that has a professor action man, Bernard Quartermass, who, you know, works with the military and solves alien and weird stuff. And the reason I bring it up, especially for Spearhead from Space, is it's pretty much the plot of the second serial. Things coming from outer space and uh, world leaders being replaced by aliens. That was turned into a hammer movie, so I thought you might have heard of that one. I'm not familiar. I've heard of, I've heard the name of the show before, but I have not Um, heard anything specific. In America, it was known as Enemy from Space. Um, But yeah, so a lot of this era, especially this episode, takes heavily from old 50s British sci-fi. So this Quartermass guy is like a super spy professor kung fu uh, alien observer guy yeah pretty much huh so he's not doctor who and they wanted to make this doctor who into that pretty much why can't they just start their own damn show over again remember when josh said that uh they were going to cancel doctor who their plan was to reboot quarter mass and put it in this time slot so they're like well if we turn doctor who into quarter mass maybe they'll let us on the air but don't worry about it because barry Letts takes over and yeah. uh, derails the whole quarter mass thing you know how the original people brought on to do this want to make a more serious and dark complex era yeah barry Letts basically takes all of that and just wipes it off the table we're gonna get a few episodes like that but for the most part barry Letts was a wrecking ball to that idea i'm really disappointed because i liked what we got yeah Yeah. enjoy it while you can a lot of people do this it's very short what we get but yeah why can't people leave strong women on tv alone like i said barry letts rick berman of doctor who uh there is one other figure i want to talk about now not for very long but he is such a big force in Doctor Who that I feel we need to mention him. And that is writer Robert Holmes, who penned this episode. Robert Holmes would go on to be the script editor for the show, which we've established as sort of like the showrunner. He would introduce limits to the regenerations. He would give us our first view of Gallifrey. He's the one who came up with the two hearts. Yeah, he came up with the two hearts. He will give us the master later on. 
Mm. He writes what many consider to be some of the best episodes of the show's history. And he's also known for putting a lot of his politics into Doctor Who. A lot. What are his politics? I couldn't find any interview that properly, like, where he, like, said, I side with this or I side with that. But the closest thing I could come to is sort of light libertarianism. Oh, no. Like... He didn't like taxes. He didn't like big government. He was uh, somewhat of an individualist. He didn't seem to like Randian objectivism either. He was definitely not on board with that. He is. Oh, I don't want Doctor Who to get all fashy. It doesn't really. You'll see it when it happens. This episode, I kind of wondered if like there was, you know, something about communism or something like that that he was railing against. But apparently he It did seem to say imperialism was bad. Yeah. Uh, That's actually something else that Robert Holmes introduces several episodes where he basically talks about why the empire was a shit idea and we shouldn't have done it. And imperialism was bad and colonialism was bad and maybe we should leave everyone alone. But apparently the big idea he had for this one was just, there's a lot of plastic around. What if it was evil? That'd be fun. I mean, it kind of is. It doesn't really biodegrade and it's not as recyclable as we would like. So first few times I saw this, I was like, huh, is there a deeper meaning here about like individual salvation against an ongoing plastic horde that wants to infiltrate and stuff? And And take our jobs. And take our jobs and, you know... Like there's there's all of these uh, people who are taken in by it in positions of power. And it turns out the idea was just, no, I just thought mannequins were creepy. And like, he's not wrong. They are. He's not wrong. Uh, that's, that's a timeless message. It is appropriate for all eras. Robert Holmes never seems to reach, say, Zack Snyder levels of libertarianism. He's more uh, substantially more moderate than that. If he did, I don't know that I'd be able to keep watching this. I, I think he'd be more sort of Brad Bird-y, but even Brad Bird seems a little more into the objectivist side than he was. His big thing really just seemed to be like bureaucracy bad. And he chose a show with the military Yeah. in order to do that. Well, the military, which is notorious for bureaucratic bullshit. I will say, by the time that Holmes really gets in control and all that, uh, there's a lot less unit and a lot more back to space travel and shit. And yeah, stuff. That's and when good. Holmes started writing for the show, it was not that. So he's he's uh, yeah. kind of a carryover from uh, the second Doctor. That makes more sense then, because like, boy. I've talked to people in the military. That is, the bureaucracy is like a thing <laughs> um, for them. Yeah. Yikes. Which could also be why uh, the Brigadier wasn't given much character in this episode, seeing as it was written by Holmes. Yeah, maybe he just didn't like him. I honestly just think there wasn't time. Possible. Yeah. And they didn't need to. Like, it no. was a nicely paced serial. This is probably the best pacing we've had, in fact. No, I can't really think of like a scene that drags too long or that you could cut. No. I mean, there's some stuff that, strictly speaking, you could cut because it doesn't matter that much. But like, its inclusion doesn't slow the movie down or slow the serial down, rather. Yeah. Uh, Like, this is by far probably the best pacing we've had. 
I did just um, since it feels like we're getting close to rating and closing, I did want to just add one funny little tidbit. It wasn't in the version we watched, but it's in some releases, and it was in the original release when um, Ransom is walking through the the doll factory in the original broadcast. For 15 seconds, you hear um, the first 15 seconds of Fleetwood Mac's Oh Well Part One. <laughs> and it really, really clashes. Yeah, with, it doesn't fit at all. The, it doesn't. That's odd. <laughs> so, what would you rate it then? Let's do the ratings. Uh, everyone, four Daleks. Let's start with you, Zach. One to four Daleks. Don't start with me. No, I don't. Uh, I'll say for uh, for this, I'm I really like Spearhead. I'm going a full four Daleks. Full four Daleks. Okay, Justin, what about you? How many Daleks? I like the Doctor. I like the characters and stuff, and the story was okay. But it was it was three. It was solid. Solid. All right. I think that's that's a fair assessment. Um, Kari, one to four Daleks. I'll go the full four on You'll that go one. The full four. Yeah, I like I like Liz a lot in this one. I think the Doctor is debonair and handsome. I thought the Autons were creepy. Even the butthole thing was satisfactorily creepy. <laughs> the pacing was great. I mean, let's let's be real here. No one wants to see anyone show their butthole to you. Unless you're a cat. Not not when it's covered with applesauce yeah. and like plastic wrap or whatever that was. Yeah, it was leaving traces of something on the Yeah, the it was icky. They did if they had, had the budget, they wanted to come out and be a towering monstrosity. Oh, I think the cute felted tentacles were enough. That was adorable. Um, I am going to actually do something that I don't think I've done on this show before. This gets a full four Daleks from me too. I think it suffers a little bit on the production end of things but given the materials they had what they were allowed to show what they wanted to do i can't think of a way they could have made it more successfully so yeah i think that's everything that is that is our show now the part that i know justin hates uh me doing the calls to action everyone be sure to like subscribe and ring the bell on youtube if you don't want to follow us on youtube we're also on buzzsprout which means we're on uh itunes spotify basically anywhere you get your podcast including pandora we're now on pandora so all of you people who haven't made the jump to spotify you can listen to us there for whatever reason follow us on facebook and twitter we put up a bunch of funny memes not myspace uh we might be on myspace i haven't checked gotta get with it man uh, I think I think we sent an intern to check on MySpace and they got lost. And and Google Plus. Come yeah, on. Google Google Plus. Oh ICQ, boy. ICQ. <laughs> like you can always contact us on our AOL instant messenger. AOL, yeah. Hey, have we gotten on Oh I had ICQ? Oh hey guys, have we gotten on E Bombs World? <laughs> I understand that's really popping with the kids right now. <laughs> We're so old. Oh, God. Half the people oh. listening right now don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, this this YouTube thing ain't going to take off now. Newgrounds, yeah. that's where the hot shit is. We got a news group and everything. I mean, we're so we, old. You have to check out our BBS. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Is there is there now a way we, we can can make this even older? Like, can you get us in print media somehow? Oh we got God. a fanzine. Fanzine, yeah. We, we have an ad in Poor Richard's Almanac. <laughs> you know. Okay. 
All right. Ooh, that's the oldest of the old schools. Well, speaking of, of going back to old school, uh, next time we are jumping back to the OG TARDIS team um, as we're going into Woo! Hartnell's second season with Planet of the Giants. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah, join us for that. Until then, feed your TARDIS. And if your butthole looks like the one in this cereal, get that checked. There's something wrong. Yeah, that's not yeah. normal. There's doctor. Yeah, call a doctor. Really quick. <laughs> Quickly. Quickly. Yeah. Um, and hope they, they that they don't have a shovel. Yeah. yeah. Fire. Yeah. Especially if there were- All energy is a form of life.